Alright, I want to encourage you, let's focus in. I'm a big believer in right now, in this moment, as kids are leaving. I want to imagine you're a racehorse, kind of like, you know, in the stables just before the Melbourne Cup uh, thing goes off, and you've got blinkers on because you're focused and you're ready to, uh, to, to go somewhere in the Word today, okay? So let's just uh, pray uh, for distractions to fall off, for everyone to focus in, because I, f- I find that's an important discipline. Even when you're one-on-one with the Word and you're praying with the Holy Spirit, sometimes things can distract you, particularly things like Facebook or, you know, whatever it is. It's like focus in on the Word. So let's just pray. Father, we declare that your people are hungry this morning. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is designed to nourish them. We thank you, Lord, that you even said, Jesus, that uh, it's not by bread alone, but by every word of God that you uh, feed people's lives. So I thank you, Jesus, for your word this morning that would encourage and also uh, come against hindrances that are holding people back in their life. I thank you, Lord, that your word is surrounded and is is just uh, endorsed by your love, God. I thank you, Lord, that your word is delivered with the love of the Father's heart this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. Okay. Well, this morning I want to talk about turning point. That's the word that I have this morning, your turning point. And sometimes in life we have needs and we also have wants, but sometimes we need a turning point. Sometimes we need a turning point physically in our healing, or maybe we need a turning point in our health. Uh, Maybe we need a turning point in the level of joy that we have in our life and what's overflowing. Maybe we're feeling empty. Sometimes we need a turning point in peace. Uh, Prophet Julie was ministering this morning, bringing that word about, you know, things being uh, a bit annoying or frustrating and wanting to replace that and having that turning around to be someone who's experiencing peace. Sometimes it's strength. Maybe it's mental strength, tenacity, where maybe you're just tired and you've been fighting or there's things in your mind that you've been fighting and you're tired and you're weary and you're wanting a turnaround mentally. Sometimes we know it can be financial as well, where at times or seasons you feel like you're just hanging on, you're just treading water, you're just keeping your chin above water. Or sometimes we feel like we might be falling underneath the surface of the water financially and we're taking big gulps and we're desperately wanting a turnaround. We're wanting a turning point to happen. Uh, This is all about change, you know, at times we hunger and we desire change. We want something to turn and we want it to happen. Um, And also there are times when we are hungry for restoration. We need restoration in our family. We need restoration in our relationships. We just need restoration sometimes in our own inner world. And I believe that God is into creating turning points. In fact, I believe that Jesus himself is the master of establishing fruitful turning points in your life. And I think it starts with, first of all, we've got to recognize when we desperately want a turning point, we've got to humble ourselves and uh, cry out to God and say, God, I want to invite you into this situation so you can create the turning point. I know for me, sometimes the mistakes that I've made when I need change, when I need a turning point in my life, sometimes the default is that I'll try and do it myself, make it happen myself. And, uh, and then you learn the hard way and then you get tired and then you go into strife mode and then you eventually get so tired that you fall on your knees and you lift your hands in prayer and you say, God, I can't do this in my own strength anymore. I need you to enter into this situation. I need a supernatural turning point. And I want to encourage you this morning, church, that I believe that God wants to encourage you this morning that he is the into turning points he's into you inviting him into situations he's into you humbling yourself and saying God I need something bigger than my own strategic mind I need something bigger than my own education I need something something bigger than my own life experiences to utilize to create a turning point in situations and so this morning be encouraged that God is into a turning point who believes that amen and so the Bible is made up mostly When you look at the Bible, it's made up mostly of the response of men and women to the will and the word of God in terms of creating turning points in situations. When you look at the Bible, a lot of it is filled with story upon story about people actually responding to, well, what actually is the will of God in this situation? What does the Word of God say in this situation? And how am I going to respond to that to work with God to create a turning point? And uh, in Matthew even, let's have a look at one example. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 to 39, it says here that Jesus uh, laments, and He's talking about, when it says it laments, it's kind of like He passionately talks about This particular part, and he says here in Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39, 
Let's go here. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Matthew 23, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Let's kind of translate that. Oh, people of God, people of God, you who sometimes stubbornly reject the word of God, whether it's the word of God from the Bible or prophetically from maybe your teachers, your mentors, and stone those that sent to you, as in, in your heart, kind of push them away. If we give this a practical meaning here. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, oh, people of God, sometimes I just want to gather you together and protect you and help to create a turning point in situations and help you out and solve your problems. But he talks about how sometimes it's the stubbornness of the heart of man. It's the lack of willingness of the heart of man to actually allow God to come in, to allow the word of God to actually speak to them in situations. It's the stubbornness where people push the word of God or push the direction of God or push the very instruction of God or push the will of God to the side in a rejection kind of way. And, uh, and, and Christ himself in the scripture is kind of crying out. But then, everyone say, but then. Verse 38, look, your house is left to you desolate. That's still a bit negative. So it's saying the situation is not changing. The consequence of being stubborn to the word of God and the will of God is that the situation is not turning. I love verse 39 though. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Meaning, You will see me, but you won't see me again until you're ready. You won't see a turning point. You won't see a breakthrough. You won't see some type of a a next level thing until you're willing to actually call on me and recognize that it's me that will bring the blessing. That's just an interpretation I'm bringing to you today. And so the significant thing to see about any Bible character is the message that they heard the response that they had, and the outcome that they experienced. There's lots of examples where people heard a message from God or got some insight from the Word of God and how they responded to it and what kind of outcome it brought in their lives. I want to share this with you. In my own life, when it comes to turning points, the number one ingredient that's helped me is, first of all, to believe in God, to trust God, but number three is to humble myself and say, God, I need you to come into this situation. Do you know what I think? Sometimes when we just make that decision to allow the love of God, see, sometimes we don't welcome him into our heart because our perception of God's agenda in this situation is not right. It's not healthy. But allowing him to come into situations is a key to a turning point, and it takes humility. Quite often I've talked about pride up here because I find it's one of the things that holds people back in breaking through. And so I want to talk this morning about how we can position ourselves for turning points. Who here has ever ever studied film? Film, TV, I know Josh, he's studying film right now. I went to acting school for three years, studied part-time while I was at uni, and we did script writing. And what was really interesting about learning about script writing is you learn that the most important part of a film script is what they call the turning point. Now, the turning point is not the climax at the very end. There's that right at the very end, and there's a certain climax, and then we have the resolution at the end, and usually those Hollywood movies always have good Hollywood endings, right? We can go away. We don't feel heartbroken. But the turning point in script writing is actually more just before the middle, or sometimes on the middle, or sometimes just after the middle. And it's so critical because they say when people are watching a story or watching a journey, that the turning point is actually where something starts to accelerate up until this middle or just past the middle, and then something shifts very quickly. And then after the turning point, after the shift in the storyline, that something after the shift then further accelerates. So let me paint another analogy here. 
Because when it comes to film writing or script writing, obviously we're talking about when you're watching something as an audience member, you're being taken on a journey and then it comes to the turning point and then it's like the rest of the journey is kind of more pulling you into the story. It's kind of like if you want to go to the bathroom, you always want to go to the bathroom before the turning point because after the turning point, it's like the storyline just accelerates. Has anyone encountered that? If it's a good movie, you know it's structured based on that science of script writing. But when you think about even practically, if you're driving in a car, and let's say that you're driving in a particular way, you're driving towards a particular destination. Think about, let's say, if you know that there's a turning point that needs to come up. So to prepare for that turning point, what has to happen is that you actually have to slow down a little bit. You have to be reflective. And now you come to these crossroads, and you either have to turn right or you have to turn left. What's interesting is when a turning point comes into a journey, when it comes from a car, you know that you're not going to continue to drive forward, that you actually have to change direction. And when God starts to put on your heart the need for change or that something needs to shift or there's a desire to see change, it usually means that God's saying, hey, there's a turning point coming up or you're desiring a turning point in the journey of the road spiritually. And so when you get to a turning point or a turning point's coming up, what do you have to do to safely turn? You have to slow down. So spiritually, when God is actually wanting to bring a turning point, the first thing is, is that we can't be stubborn and prideful and just have the full foot on the accelerator going, I'm keep going this way, I'm keep going this way, I don't care what people think, don't what God thinks, I'm just doing it, I'm just doing it. Because that doesn't bring a turning point. Because God knows that you can't safely navigate or turn when you have your foot on the accelerator in that season of your life. And it's pride that actually stops God from breaking through. The Bible teaches clearly that pride actually resists God. And so when we're prideful, it's kind of like, I'm doing this, this is the way I'm doing it, or this is the way it's going to happen. I don't care what people say, I don't care what God says. But when we actually humble ourselves and we start to allow God to reveal that we're hungry for change that we kind of come to the end of ourselves and we think, you know what, this situation, something has to change. Or this scenario, or this thing about me, or this thing about my life, I'm a bit over it, something needs to shift. We actually, in our heart, by humility, we start to slow down in our focus and we actually start to take our foot off the accelerator spiritually and we start to position ourselves to start to think and to ponder and to meditate, and it's that spiritually that allows the Holy Spirit, allows us to position ourselves to actually start to open up to the Word of God, open up to the voice of God, allow the Holy Spirit, who is always a gentleman, who will never force himself on you, to come on in that situation and start to give you direction and guidance. And so you slow down, and then you start to get an understanding that God is actually creating a turning point. And then... If you stay connected to God, then God actually lets you know this is what needs to. T- you, this is the direction you need to turn. This is the direction that you need to shift. And like a film script, when we actually make that decision with God, we make the right decision. What's interesting is then when we make that turning point, guess what happens? We now put our foot back on the accelerator. And we start to gain momentum again. But we're going to a direction that's bringing new uh, vision. It's bringing new sense of uh, place that we're going. It's an exciting part spiritually to understand the dynamics of inviting God into your world. When you're hungry and desperate for a turning point, God is waiting for you to invite him in so he can help you to slow down. He can help you to shift out of pride into actually relying on him so he can give you the confidence that this decision or whatever the shift is even within you is something that's going to actually help you as you turn your heart, turn your mind, whatever it is, to going into a much fruitful direction, but going into that fruitful direction with an accelerated pace. Can I get everyone to say, it's time for a turning point? And so having a turning point and having that focus, I thought that was, you know, it's interesting when when you're looking at that film script that even stories, for us to be engaged, and I find sometimes when we're distracted, And when we're feeling confused, they're the things that don't allow us to slow down. But I want to talk about a couple of turning points. There's actually so many turning points in the Bible. 
let me just, I, I'm going to go into it in a part of this word now where I want to just build your faith with all these different turning points that the God that we worship here today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives is such a turning point kind of God. First of all, the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, when God said, let there be light and there was light, that was a turning point. Can I just say that maybe, just maybe there's a turning point in your life where you have to start to tap into the same power and start to speak your life out and speak the word out and start to create something new with your words. Maybe that's the key to a turning point for you. Another turning point was the fall where Adam and Eve sinned and, uh, you know, they turned away and there was conflict and there was disagreement between them and God. And so maybe the turning point for you is that uh, you have to get back into dis- you have to get back into, sorry, agreement with God's word. Maybe that's the key to a turning point. See, some turning points were negative in the Bible. Some turning points were positive in the Bible. The next turning point is the flood. We know that the flood was a turning point where God kind of said, all right, something has to shift and change here. The people are so rebellious, so we're going to flood the earth and start again. That was a turning point. God is into turning points. As I promised, not all turning points are exciting, particularly in the Old Testament. Some of them are pretty like, oh my goodness, that is like a movie. All right. The Tower of Babel was a turning point where the pride of man became so evident they were building their own thing that then God actually had to release confusion and scatter languages so that people actually didn't create an idol in their own humanity and actually had to acknowledge that God was actually still the ruler. That was a turning point. When God called Abraham and, and, and made him Abraham and said, I'm going to birth a nation out of your seed line, that was a turning point. That God actually wanted to create a covenant with a man and his family. And the very, that very line that Jesus Christ would come from that covenant line. Maybe, just maybe, that your turning point is to start to get a revelation that you're actually a part of that same covenant. And you've got to start to believe in a generational blessing. Maybe that there's been a thought in your mind that's been a stronghold thinking that you're not called to be blessed. Or you don't have generate. Maybe you're thinking still that you're cursed. And God says that's broken off your life. You need to start thinking and building a generational blessing. Maybe that's your turning point. Another turn- turning point was the very covenant that God made with Abraham. Maybe your turning point is to start to stand on the promises of God. Sodom and Gomorrah was a turning point where God said, enough is enough. These are my moral standards and I need my people to recognize it and honor it. Maybe there's a turning point in your life where you start to need to recognize more the moral standards of God in your life. Abraham and Isaac was a turning point where Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. Maybe a turning point for you is to make a new sacrifice in your life that God's calling you to. Well, it actually might be a key to opening a door if you just be willing to make that sacrifice. Jacob and the promise where Jacob was actually he wrestled with the angel of the Lord and he wanted the promises of God and he, he, he so desired and hung the promises of God that literally he became uncomfortable because he dislocated his hip maybe your turning point is you have to become so uncomfortable and, and desire the promises of God that God would start to position you to actually wrestle with him in prayer and break through that way in your own authority to call the anointing and to call the promises of God into your life Joseph uh, and, the, and the dream and then uh, the dream being shattered because he actually was a bit boasting and told all of his brothers and then they kind of wanted to kill him and then he ended up in prison and then blah, blah, blah. But we know the whole story that he, then he rose to become the second most powerful man in the land. So maybe your turning point is once there was a dream and it kind of was shut down by yourself or circumstances, but God wants to resurrect and say, hey, I want to resurrect dreams in your life. Maybe that's your turning point. The Passover where the people of God were being hunted down by the Egyptians and that the firstborn uh, was declared by the, by the rule of the land that they all had to die. So what they did was they put a mark over their house to make sure that the spirit of death passed over the generation of the, of the Jews, the Jewish people. Maybe your turning point is to actually say the presence of God in this season needs to pour over you and to protect you, to, to um, withhold anything that maybe is coming into your mind or attacking your family. Exodus was a turning point where God split the sea. And uh, we know even this morning that maybe your turning point is to know that God actually wants to make a way for you to freely run into the presence of God. There's so many turning points. Uh, the giver of the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle was another one uh, where the, the Lord's presence was released. There's so many I could go on. Jericho, the walls coming down. Uh, when Israel wanted a king and then you had David and Goliath, that was a turning point. Then you had King David who actually was raised up to be anointed and had to deal with Saul and uh, the onslaught of Saul being jealous as a father and then David actually, his promise being confirmed field and he became anointed. That was a positive turning point. But then he actually had an affair against Beth, with Bathsheba and he, he fell in sin and that was a negative turning point. But then God delivered him and, and helped to bring restoration and so on and so on. Can I get everyone to say turning points? 
And so we have so many turning points in the Old Testament. Another turning point, obviously, in the New Testament, the birth of Jesus was a turning point. Was a turning point. Where very clearly key signals of the promise and word of God manifested in front of the people. That the prophecies of the end times were starting to come to pass. Maybe, just maybe, God's saying, cry out and start to see some evidence of the promises that you're believing for. You know, sometimes I've said to God, okay, God, I'm really, really frustrated. So over this next season, I'm just praying to you that you would show me 10%. You would show me a tipping point. You would show me a tip of the iceberg of this promise that's in my heart. Give me a a sign. Give me a sense that uh, this is for you. God, I don't want to go before you. Uh, I don't want to fall behind. But God, just show me a sign. Can I tell you when I prayed that prayer in faith and I persisted that God has released signs. He's released insights. He's revealed things to me, either through people, through the Word of God, whatever it is. God is a prophetic God. He wants to let you know that He is is on plan he is on track who here is getting an understanding that he's into turning points the baptism of Jesus was a turning point where after rising out of the water not only did he set an example for you and I as believers to do to acknowledge him as the person that changes our life but the Holy Spirit came upon Christ and anointed him publicly in front of the people that was a turning point all of these turning points Uh, The signs and wonders and miracles of Jesus was a turning point. Jesus' transfiguration when he went up with the three of the disciples. And he had two of the the Old Testament guys with him and the Lord came upon him. And uh, the Lord was saying, this is my son, listen to him. And then when he came back down to the people, he actually shifted. His whole focus was doing uh, miracles. But as he came down from the mountain in transfiguration, he actually shifted in his focus. His eyes became like with like a flint towards Jerusalem. He now was on mission to go to the cross. He was actually empowered by the presence of God to now go and do the very thing that it was called to do after revealing to people the power of God and the kingdom of God. The very thing that Moses also had to do where he went to the mountain and he actually had the, the spirit of God and the presence of God come upon him so strongly that when he went down to the mountain, the people could see the brightness and the glory of God upon him. And then something shifted in the people's hearts for him to be back on mission again, because before that, they were starting to create a bull to worship and, and go crazy. Turning points, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. On the third day, a massive turning point where the veil that was holding the people of God back from the very holy of holies, the religious system that was keeping people uh, unable to freely enter in the very presence of God was ripped in half. And it was so thick. That was a miraculous turning point. Can I tell you my own life? You know, being into drinking and drugs and all different things, and coming to a place of brokenness saying, I can't beat this myself, I need something bigger myself, was a turning point. The day that I walked into Kingscliff C3, uh, we've just been down at Kingscliff, I love Kingscliff, it's this little special place, because a lot of people don't know this, even though we were raised in C3 in the West End Church uh, for for 10 years before planning this church, I actually got saved in C3 Kingscliff, which was really, really cool, because one of the people that was leading me to the Lord, his uncle was a worship leader, and so they just invited me down there. And I responded to the altar call. And that day, I got water baptized in the, in the Tweed River. Now, listen to this. What's ironic is what a lot of people don't know was that the, the years that I fell into full-on sin was when I was an exchange student. Get this. I was an exchange student through Rotary. And there were four Ds. So I was like 17. I went over the U.S. And there were four Ds, four things that you couldn't do. No drinking, no driving, no dating, and no drugs. And so I broke all of those rules. Okay, this is before Jesus' time. Okay, this is before Brad was a Christian. And so uh, after coming back from that gap year, was, which was supposed to be a really successful year, it took me backwards. And I came back from the U.S. and I was broken. I was bruised. My parents had, uh, had, had started divorces, separated. Everything, my, my, my dog got run over and killed in front of me. It was a horrible time. But I can tell you that even seasons before that, I'd done some bad things where I'd actually hung out with people who were into demonic kind of boards with moving parts. We won't go into it. Never, ever do that stuff because it opened up my life to something that was dark. And then all of these things, broken, broken things came into my life. And so the good, the interesting thing is, is that the Rotary Club that sponsored me to go to the US was the Rotary Club of Tweed Heads. They were embarrassed because I got sent home early. Jesus is cool because this is his turning point. The very river that I got baptized in was the Tweed River. 
Now, you might sit there going, oh, that's not that exciting, but it is to me because I got raised up on the Gold Coast. The fact that I actually was sponsored by the Tweed Heads Rotary Club, they were, I was an embarrassment to the Tweed Heads Rotary Club. I was the only exchange student that had ever been sent home that ever, had ever broken the four Ds. And the very region that I was supposed to represent the Rotary Club in a good way and be a good ambassador was the very uh, same geographical place that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and got water baptized. God is into turning points. Is anyone catching anything here this morning? And so I want to finish off with a specific turning point that I feel that the Lord wants to encourage us this morning. A specific turning point. Because disappointments and frustrations, interesting that Prophet Julie was picking that up, are part of daily life due to the fallen world that we live in. But focusing our attention on those negative situations and focusing on them and focusing on them and focusing on them and thinking on them and thinking on them is the very thing that creates in you and I this thing called offense. And it's a spirit of of offense that can settle down within people. It can settle within their attitudes. It can start to shape how they see things and see people and see their world and starts to even affect their character, start to affect the choices, their, their behavior. And if there's one thing in my life that God has said, you need to be careful about making sure when it's right timing, you need to invite me and help me to establish a turning point even after I've given my life to Jesus. God has always warned me since the beginning that I became a member of the body of Christ. He's always warned me in my heart, Brad, right now you're offended and you need to invite me in so I can create a turning point. I think in today's life, in today's world, probably one of the most regular turning points that we all need is turning away from offense and turning towards freedom in our heart and our mind, allowing Christ to come in. I'm a big believer that there is a difference between forgiveness and trust. Sometimes when you forgive people, you don't necessarily automatically trust them. But sometimes, and I'm preaching to myself here, with the love of God, listening to and, and, and being in the Word, sometimes we can actually use that as an excuse for why we still justify offense. Because there's been situations in my life where I've kind of practically forgiven people in my life. I've said to God, yes, I forgive them. But then I've still been offended with them. And sometimes I've justified that by saying, well, it's because I don't trust that person because of what they did. But what's interesting is when I am honest with myself sometimes, a lot of the time when I'm offended with someone, it's not necessarily because of what they did. It's actually just a decision or a choice that was different to what I wanted. So sometimes we can use the word trust as in actually there's something that they did towards me, therefore I can't trust them. Or sometimes those choices though, it's not actually about trust. It's actually about that they just made a decision that I didn't necessarily like or I didn't agree with it. And we can hold on to that and allow it to actually create offense in our hearts. And I feel like Jesus, through the word this morning, wants to get us to understand to understand how important it is to have a turning point. When you look at all the different examples in the Bible where people got offended. But I want to quickly highlight one. That at Dominion Conference, I talked about some of this and in our leadership meetings I've talked about this once but I've never actually talked about it specifically in our congregation but this is a great example because a spirit of offense can really bring harm and it can really affect your world and so as a man and woman of God Jesus does expect us to take responsibility of the condition of our heart Absalom's offense against David 
was such an example of the, the, the negative things of offense. When you look at 2, Tam, 2 Samuel, the book two, number 2 Samuel, chapter 13, and there's different verses in there, but let me bring a little bit of teaching. Absalom carried an offense against his father, King David, because of his failure to punish Amnon, who was a gentleman who, well, he wasn't a gentleman, he was a man who raped his sister Tamar. First, Absalom took matters into his own hands and avenged Tamar by putting Amnon, by putting that man Amnon to death. But later, he still never forgave David. He was still offended. And so later, that offense led to rebellion. He rebelled against David, his father, and temporarily actually ousted him out of the house. Another person. I always have difficulty pronouncing this name, so just give me permission if I mispronounce it. But Ahithophel's offense against David. Ahithophel was a prominent counselor of King David. And in 2 Samuel again, you have a situation where he was <clears throat> Bathsheba's grandfather. And he carried an offense against David. And when crisis emerged, he switched sides and became the chief advisor to Absalom, who he knew also had an offense with David. So what's interesting about the spirit of offense and why we so need to have a turning point is not only can it affect you, but sometimes the other person in your circle who has the same offense, you will be drawn to. And that's actually one of the strategies of the enemy to gather you together, which actually will fester and breed, particularly if you fall into temptation of talking about that thing. Even if it's just a little subtle comment over a cup of tea. Oh, we shouldn't be talking about this, but we still are. The consequences of carrying offense, the consequences of not inviting Jesus in to help you, to have a turning point away from offense. Can I just say that an offense, the danger of offense is when you justify it. That's pride. And your foot's on the accelerator. And you're driving and you're driving and deep down inside you you know you need a turning point. But for whatever reason, you've got to be careful that you're not willing to take your foot off the accelerator. Because when you are willing to take your foot off the accelerator, spiritually you're acknowledging that you actually need to invite Jesus into this situation in your heart to talk to you about it. You need to slow down, stop justifying it, stop talking to other people, invite Christ into your heart so you can slow down. And God can say, hey, you know what? If you don't allow me to help you to make a turning point here, the very offense that you hold is actually going to do you more damage than anyone else. The consequences of not allowing God to turn you away from offense. The consequences of carrying offense. When you carry offense, it feeds unforgiveness. Absalom didn't take rest. Catch this. He didn't take rest until he avenged Abnon. He didn't sleep at night. He wasn't able to just be at peace until he was able to get a score on the board. To prove himself right. It also offense deceives. See, Absalom's offense generated so much energy and motivation within him that it actually made him, for a moment, it made him more influential because he was so passionate and so fired up that when he spoke to people, it's like he had this thing this thing, this agenda, and it actually gathered people to him. And he indeed, for a moment, ousted his father, which amazed everyone. It's like, how was he able to take on King David? Everyone say, but. But his success, it was deception because it only lasted a fraction of a second. Offense divides as well. Othophel joined Absalom, was the counselor of David, but then joined and became the counselor of Absalom in rebellion against King David because his agenda was to take revenge on David. Offense can unite people of like mind, but the Word of God clearly says that their destiny becomes doomed. 
I talk about this all the time. When you look at, it's interesting because even Absalom started to think, well, I'm just as good as David. I could lead probably better. We've talked about this before, but why is that so evil? Why is it is the word evil actually the word to use when people have those types of thoughts? Because it's actually the same thoughts that Lucifer had against God himself. It's the very seed of rebellion. The fact that you would actually want to presume that you could be just as good upon the person that's been anointed to lead is a very judgment and criticism of God's own choice. It's a dangerous place to dance with. Turning point is needed in all of our lives. Last time I checked, no one was a robot. So God can't program you. He can't force you. But He has a will and He has His word. But He's a gentleman. So He invites you to learn and to grow how to walk with Him how to be guided by Him, how to be influenced by Him. But this is why we've all got to understand that times in our life, in our heart, we have to welcome a turning point. Next one is self-dependence. Absalom forgot that God is in control of every situation. He took matters into his own hands and it created more problems. The next one, pride. The downfall of Absalom was caused by the very thing that made him attractive, popular, and powerful. Hidden behind his beautiful hair was the spirit of offense. Let me quickly talk about some other things around turning point. Let me just release some prayer into this place. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your love is greater than anything. I thank you, God, that you love us so much that sometimes you would want to come in and just uproot any weeds you'd want to uproot anything that would restrict us from feeling free on the inside father i thank you lord that in this place wherever spiritual weeding needs to take place lord that you are sovereign in our life that even as you look upon this place with such love lord i pray that you would just move in people's hearts And help them to flow in a new place of forgiveness wherever it's needed. Lord, I pray that you would uproot the weed of offense in people's lives right now, Jesus. Holy Spirit, that you are the gardener of our heart. That you would like to turn over the soil at times to make sure that our heart is fresh, that it's filled with joy. So Father, I pray, Lord, supernaturally through your word and by your anointing, that you would just pour into people's hearts and that your love, Lord, would be a fertilizer that would help to just freshen the soil of our heart. But Lord, it'd be your love that would give us a sense of security that we could allow you to weed the, the weeds of our heart as well. Lord, we just hand over offense to you and we ask you to take it, Lord, where it needs to be taken away. In Jesus' name. Can I encourage everyone to say amen to that? So the spirit of offense, the spirit of offense in church, in your home, and in society sometimes happens. Certain people sometimes, when I say certain people, I'm not talking specifically about anyone here, but I'm saying generally certain people. I'm talking about when when I meet with other pastors and leaders and you talk to people who lead ministries. Certain people are always talking only what is not right about the church. Well, that's not healthy. Complaints can turn to murmuring, which eventually results in offense against the pastor, which creates fractions. Some husbands and even wives see only the failures of their spouse, ignoring the great number of good things that he or she has done. So it's not just in church life, it's even in your home. Political views. People like to criticize the government, even more so with social media. 
People like to criticize the government instead of praising God for the good things that God has accomplished through political leaders that He appoints. Okay, sometimes we have to stand up and say to our government, we don't agree with this. But how much of that it dominates your voice? Why do I want to have a turning point and want to deal with offense in my heart? Let's have a look. I love the Word of God because it's true. And again, the Word of God with the love of God on it is designed to build people up, but also cut those things away. In Matthew 18, 23, 35, Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me and I will pay it all. And then his master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. But, everyone say but. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you, shouldn't you, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had mercy on you. And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to give your brothers and sisters from your heart. Let me give some context here. Offense. Jesus Christ has forgiven everything that you've done. And when we choose to hold on to offense to a, a brother, a sister, a husband, our wife, our children, our pastor, our boss, do people wrong us at times? Do they make decisions that we don't agree with? Will it offend us at times? Yes, because we're not a robot. But we have to forgive and we have to release offense because the very person it hurts is you. How do we know this? We know this because of Scripture. It talks about these different things. Colossians 3.13, Be tolerant of one another and forgive each other. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also should forgive. 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Matthew 18, 21 to 22. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times may my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Leviticus 19, 17 to 18. Do not bear a grudge against others, but settle your differences with them so that you will not commit a sin because of them. Do not take revenge on others or continue to hate them. But love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am the Lord. Mark eleven twenty five. And when you stand and pray, forgive anything you may have against anyone, so that your Father in heaven will forgive the wrongs you have done. Matthew five to twenty three to twenty four. So if you are about to offer your gift to God at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go at once and make peace with your brother. And then come back and offer your gift to God. Matthew six twelve. forgive us as we forgive others. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 11. When you forgive someone, I do too. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I did in the presence of the Messiah for your benefit so that we may not be outsmarted by Satan. After all, we are not unaware of his intentions. Ephesians 4, 26 and 7. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun set while you are still angry. And do not give the devil an opportunity to work. 
Hebrews 10.30, For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, The Lord will judge His own people. Romans 12.19, Don't take revenge, dear friends. Instead, let God's anger take care of it. After all, Scripture says, I alone have the right to take revenge. I will pay back, says the Lord. Hebrews 12.15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and causes you trouble or many of you will become defiled. Ephesians 4.31, Get rid of your bitterness, hot tempers, anger, loud quarreling, cursing and hatred. John 14, 24, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. John 9, 31, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is devout and does his will, God listens to him. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, your pride can bring you down. Humility will bring you honor. And so how do I overcome the spirit of offense? How do I invite Christ into my situation, into my heart to create a turning point? First of all, do the opposite. Focus on celebration. You feed the spirit of offense every time that you focus on, what is not, on what's not happening and what God has not done in your life. You've got to shift the focus from the negative to the positive things of everything that God is doing, everything great that God has done. Why is celebration important? Because it births gratitude. It births faith. It births love. It births the very things that destroy fear. And the root of offense actually is fear. Lord, we just look to you. We look to you, God. The author and the finisher of our life. And you love us so much, God. And Lord, even though without you, we're not whole, we're broken. Lord, afresh, we acknowledge that we need you, Jesus. We need you, God. Because with you, and as we invite you into these situations in our heart, and when we say afresh this morning, God, we want you to create a turning point. Help us to turn away from offense. So, Lord, when we can turn away from offense, Lord, we can go into a fresh direction and we can put our foot on the accelerator and you can birth us into something new. And, Lord, in a fresh way, we can release faith because you will listen to our prayer because we've been willing to forgive those other people because you first forgave us. I thank you, Lord, that your word says that you have forgiven every sin of every person here, that every mistake, every bad thought, everything that was not of you, God, that's happened in their life, Lord, you have forgiven it. Lord, you have wiped us clean. Lord, you have set us free. We thank you because of that, God, that we now, Lord, release offense. Lord, we release forgiveness right now towards those who have held on to offense towards. And Lord, we invite you into our heart right now. Holy Spirit, Set us free today. Set us free, Lord. Because, God, we know that our future with you is too exciting to hold on to things that can stop us from going in the right direction. Lord, we declare and we decree that the future is bright. Lord, we prophesy, Lord, vision into people's lives. Lord, we prophesy, Lord, an expansion to the left and the right. Lord, we declare, Lord, an acceleration, Lord, of newness and freshness and of freedom in people's lives. Lord, we prophesy a fresh release of your love. Lord, we prophesy a release of your joy. Lord, we prophesy a release of revelation. Lord, that there is nothing that can stop us. 
Lord, that we're strong, overcoming, victorious men and women of God. Lord, we prophesy over our children and we declare they are a fresh generation rising up, Lord, as an army of the Lord. Lord, we declare that your word is going to be released in a new and a bold way from the mouths of your people. Lord, we pray that worship, Lord, would release a new anointing. Lord, we, Father, we thank you, Lord, for prophetic gifting and prophetic vocal voices, Lord, to arise in people. Lord, we declare, Father, that the years to come are going to be the greatest years, that the latter days are ahead of us, and they're going to be the greatest years. Lord, we declare, Lord, that our nation, Australia, is going to shift and is going to have a turning point. Lord, it's going to go to a new place. Lord, we declare the nations. Lord, the sheep nations are going to rise. Lord, we declare the church in this hour is going to rise. Lord, we declare by faith, Lord, that nothing will stop you. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you are before us. And Lord, as we follow you, Lord, you cannot let us down because you, God, you alone, Jesus, you alone, Jesus Christ, are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, the name that saves, the name that's written in blood in people's hearts, the name that we can hold on to, the glorious, wonderful, overcoming, victorious name of Jesus Christ is in our hearts. The one name that has forgiven us, the name that set us free, the name above all names. Lord, because of that name, Lord, I, will, I thank you, Lord, for a release of freedom. Lord, that offense no longer has a hold. Offense no longer has a hold. Offense is broken. Unforgiveness is broken. Lord, right now, comparison is broken. Disappointment, despondency is broken. Lord, release future. Lord, release vision. Lord, release life. Lord, release freedom. Lord, release, Lord, a new catapulting acceleration. Father, Lord, we declare and we decree a turning point right now in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Just put your hand on your heart, church. Beautiful Savior. Beautiful Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you just love us so much. Unconditionally. That the desire of your heart is to see us just filled with joy, fill with freedom, fill with your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that wherever things have hindered us just lately, Father, by faith we believe that you've done some cleaning out this morning. And because of that, Lord, we just thank you. Now, I just want to ask you to stand in this place as we finish. And just as we finish, I want you to come to the front like we did during worship. We're going to close in just a minute. But again, I want you to come boldly. As quickly as you can, people of God. If you can come to the front boldly. If you can fill right up to the front so we can leave room. As people are coming down the aisle, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And as you come, just stay in that moment of reflection. Just stay focused on Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wonderful. Beautiful Lamb of God that was slain. who is now our shepherd. Now I want you just to grab the hands of people next to you. Just grab someone. Just grab the hand. So we're all holding hands. It's okay. We're not going to do anything weird. You know, we're not weird here. But just as we're in this position, as one, just united, I just want us just to focus, just for a moment, just for God just to seal what He's done here this morning in people's lives.
Lord, we just love you. And we look to you, God. And I thank you, God, that in this moment, Lord, that you would release us into a new season of unity, Lord. Unity, Jesus. A people of one mind, the one spirit, and one heart. There's God, there's so much for us to do with you. So many wonderful things that you're calling this church, this family to be a part of and to lead and to pioneer. So Lord, before you right now, we say to you as a people, have your way with this house. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus, with this family. For this is a season, God, where we give it all back to you, Lord. Lord, we dedicate our church. Lord, we dedicate our family. Lord, we dedicate our house. Lord, we dedicate our gifts. Lord, we dedicate our voice. Lord, we dedicate our hand. Lord, we dedicate our children. Lord, we dedicate our calling. Lord, we dedicate our heart to you afresh this morning. Jesus, Jesus, beautiful God, we worship you, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We just want to finish just by worshiping you, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Have your way. Lord, have your way, Jesus. Father, we pray that you would seal, Lord, that this would be a sign to you, Lord, that we are united as one, and we call on your beautiful name, Jesus, to have your way, and we declare this morning in this place, Lord, that we are one army, Lord, we declare this is our territory, and we declare, Lord, that we have a commissioning, Lord, to build your house and to build your kingdom. And we thank you, Lord, that you've done a great work this morning in your people, in Jesus' mighty name. Now hear the Lord say, now people go forth from this time and walk strong with your head held up high and be confident in the things of me, says the Lord. For I'm releasing a new weapon of unity, I'm releasing a new weapon that will command a blessing. And I hear the Lord say that I'm bringing a, an awareness to this season 
for you will come into a time of prayer and you will come a time of decrees where you will start to see signs and wonders and you will start to see release of the prophetic mantle like never before. And I hear the Lord say that this is a season where also the younger generation, He's going to release a boldness and an authority for you to go out into the highways and byways and to pull people in. And I hear God say that He's going to release a new anointing on the music and He's going to release a new fire, a new fire, a new fire that's going to spread. So Lord, I declare, Father, Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way without any restriction. Lord, we thank you, God, there's no restriction. And we declare, Lord, that you would bring, Lord, a new thing in Jesus' name, in Jesus' mighty name, mighty name. Let's give him a club offering in this place.